Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are now listening to Rob and Rat's World of Wonder podcast. So sit back, relax, and prepare your ears as they take you on a journey of all things weird and wonderful. Welcome back to another week of podcasts. I am Rats. And I am Rob, and you're very welcome along to the show. If you're a first-time listener, thanks for listening to us. And if you've come back again, thanks for coming back. So we're going a good... We're going solid now. We've we're going for a good few months now. Is it? Yeah, yeah. probably is it. Months. Fair play to you for listening in. Fair play if you're keeping with us. Uh, and look, it's what are we talking about today, Steve? Uh, today's episode, we are talking about survival stories and different things that people go through. You know what I mean? Different situations. And right. we have uh, Douglas Robertson later. Uh, I've an interview with him, and we'll get into that a bit later. Okay. Who him and his family were in an, in a situation where they ended up shipped. Wrecked uh, for 38 days in the South Pacific Ocean, and it's an amazing story. And we'll get into that later. But uh, just, I suppose, for our listeners, a quick thing just to get onto our Instagram and all that stuff on Rob Rat Podcast. You can find us on all platforms. Or it'll be Rat or AT and then Podcast, Podcast. All one word. And just get on there. And look, if you want to message us, let us know what you think of the show. If you have any like thoughts, yeah, because we've actually got some interesting project uh, project coming up in the future, and we'll be letting you know about it through Instagram as well. And you can get involved with some of them. So definitely, and uh, just just a bit of interaction there. Check it out. Check it out, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So check it out. uh, Check it out. So we're going to our world famous uh, Robin Rats World of Wonder News. Is it world famous? It's world famous now. It is. I've just said it. <laughs> it's it's around the world. Here we go. All right, we go to the news. Rob and Rat's weird and wonderful news. Right, hello and welcome to the news. This is the news. This is the news. Right. Okay, so my story this oh, week. You're starting. Right? I'm starting. <laughs> I want to start. I want to go first. Go on. So, a 74-year-old woman in India has given birth to twin girls after delivering them via cesarean section 74. recently, only in the last month or so. The mother. Mangayama, 74, and her husband, Sturiyama, 82, had wanted children for years and even said their village had stigmatised the couple for being childless over their life. They would call me the childless lady, Mangayama told reporters. Uh, because... Villagers can be so cruel, can't they? Yeah, but, but I know they can. But po- because Mangayama had gone through the menopause, the babies were conceived through IVF using a donated mm. egg fertilised with Rodrigardo's sperm yeah. before it was implanted in her. The twins were later delivered through cesarean section. Doctors say she's the world's oldest woman, but that is not babies, yet yeah. confirmed. Unfortunately, one day after the twins were delivered, the father, Rodrigardo, Suffered a stroke and is currently tr- being treated in a hospital. The BBC reported, but like seventy-four, yeah, yeah. But that, even like I just, that's I, not right. But it's probably in India again. I don't think. I don't. Care. I think in Cas- I don't think in Ireland. If you went into a hospital, seventy-four year old, then I want you to put a baby. But the in thing it. is, right? Because like whatever they want kids, and that's fair enough. They just want to. But when you ha- when you yeah. reach the, the menopause, that like the menopause is you're too old. You know what I mean? You can't have kids anyway. Yeah. But like, it's, I think you've run out of eggs. But it's not fair anyway. Yeah, like that's not meant to happen. happen. But, but like as you're saying, because the husband has just had a stroke and she's seventy four. So how old are they? Exactly, Who's going to mind the kids? Exactly. When yeah. they, when they, well, like maybe their parents might help out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like the villagers might, aren't going to help out because they're no, just taking the piss out of them for the last seventy four years. That's not fair on the children. I no, don't it's think. not. No, do you know what no, I mean? No, it's unethical. Think of the children. Isn't, it? Isn't that what it is? It's unethical. It is unethical. Yeah, yeah. What's your story, Rob? Right. Well, I've got once again. I've got a bit more seagull news because I've been just looking at seagulls and just they piss me off a bit, right? So a mum has revealed how a flock of seagulls attacked her two-year-old daughter just eight days after they killed her dog. So it's another, another dog being attacked and then a daughter, right? So terrified Emily Vincent said her family were left traumatised after a Yorkshire Terrier named Rue was savaged by a, bu- a, gu- a gull in the back garden. The pet suffered a head wound and brain damage after the attack and it's believed to have ca- caused by the birds pecking at, the, uh, pecking at it. So he was supposed to kind of... Like, uh, there was a nest in the back garden and... Uh, they were kind of getting defensive of it. So just days after, late, days later, then the two-year-old daughter Jessie was also targeted with the same deadly gang of gulls, and left with facial injuries. She believes her injuries would have been more serious had she not run out to fight off the bird. The mother kind of rescued her. God. So she said she wanted to speak out because she knows what happened to Gizmo. And oh really? Yeah, she'd heard about it. I think this happened a couple of years ago, but she never really brought it out. But she went to the papers with it then because of what happened with Gizmo the Chihuahua. If you're unaware of Gizmo the Chihuahua, it's a, it's a story I've spoken about a number of times on the news. He was uh, picked up by a seagull. He's only a miniature chihuahua, chihuahua in and England. carried off. Carried off and is never seen again. They thought that possibly. 
they did find a leg, but it turned out to be it belonged to a rabbit. And there is a suspect gull in the area that has been going around. He's been questioned by yeah, police. Is, yeah, <laughs> they can only keep him for twenty four hours. They're, geez, they're causing havoc. They are. They? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am. T- I am looking into uh, trying to get into talking to someone about this uh, about their behaviour. Just yeah, yeah. So I've I contacted the the Royal Society uh, of Birds in the UK to see if I can get a spokesperson to speak to me about the just behaviour because a lot of these attacks are happening in the UK. So someone there has to answer for it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> this can't go <laughs> this on. This can't go on. Yeah. And I'm not going to stand for it. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, so we might do an episode on Seagull Attacks and see if I can... Uh, yeah, yeah. Victims. Yeah. Talk to someone. Victim, talk <laughs> to the victims. It'd be yeah. great to talk to your one whose chihuahua was carried away. Yeah, well, she is only four or five. Or maybe oh. the mo- I can talk to the mother. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I have another story, right? So this one is... Uh, I have a link to this story and I'll tell you about it in a minute. So an Australian man made an amazing solo land during his first flying lesson. Right, so he was venturing to the skies for his first lesson, but he was forced to make a solo landing after his instructor blacked out mid-flight. <laughs> right? Oh my God! So Max Sylvester's wife and three kids watched from the ground as air traffic controller talked to, uh, talked him through a safe landing Fair of the Cessna in uh, in Perth in the Jandicott Airport. The thirty-something-year-old issued a panic mayday call from an, a- from an altitude of 6,200 feet after his, inst- his instructor slumped onto his shoulder and could not be But woken. what happened to the instructor? Did they have a heart attack or something? Let me get to this. No worries. <laughs> Do you so, know how to operate the airplane? The air traffic controller in Perth asked urgently according to the recording of the exchange and Mr. Sylvester responded, this is my first lesson. Lesson added that he'd never landed an aircraft before. Realising the enormity of the task at hand, the tower responded, the first thing we're going to do is make sure that the wings are stay level. So he's instructed to maintain altitude and to make a pass above the runway to get a sense of the area and kind of more at ease. So 20, 20 minutes later, anyway, he made a bumpy but successful landing. He landed the plane. Jeez, the, the instructor brilliant. was taken to hospital in a stable condition and uh, he's all right now. He just, I think, I don't know, whatever happened to him, he blacked out. But uh, Sylvester received his first solo flight certificate from the uh, Air Australia International. Jeez, fair play to him though. Like, that's amazing that he did that in one. But imagine how flying, imagine you were just there going, am right. I doing it all right? And your man is... I've pal- done that. In that airport When oh, I lived in Australia you? I lived in Perth And I, you could go online Did you live in Australia? Yeah <laughs> <laughs> right, You could go online You could book like an experience So I went to Jandicott Airport You go out there You can book an experience Yeah so you kind of you know, There's loads of things you can do You can oh, go right. whatever See this is to help this Fly a plane Right So yeah. I go out there You meet the guy And he do, walks You did this yeah Yeah He brought, brings you around Shows you the different things On the outside And you get It in. could have been the same pilot yeah, It could have been yeah Right. You sit in You put on your headphones And then he lines it up Shows you what the things do You get on the runway you put it going forward, you pull back on the handles, you get it to come up into the sky, right? And then he takes over and he kind of levels the plane out and then he gives it to me again to fly out around the bay. But they land the plane because the hardest part of flying a plane Obviously, is yeah. landing it because you just good nosedive into the concrete. God, yeah. But uh, yeah, so this man, he just managed to, they talked him into doing it, he landed the plane. But it could have gone like... Oh, it could have gone off. Tits up. But, but I'd say his like serious adrenaline and, and oh, you know yeah. what I mean? I and his wife and kids are down. Fight his or wife flight, and, His wife and kids are... Well, flight, yeah. But his wife and kids are uh, down. Watching, watching, watching. waiting for him to come down. Yeah, what do you have the fear of that? Well, I think like, you know, like, I don't know, like even... To, I suppose if he kind of gets it a bit right, say if he did make a bit of an... Ar- oh, you know, I, I don't know where I'm going with that. He could have... I was thinking even if the wings weren't leveler, he could have had a crash lander that worked out all right yeah. as well. But I suppose the possibilities are probably... He must have been... Terrified. Yeah, him. absolutely. Fair play to say, yeah, he did. I'd it. say he like listened as intently as possible to those. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know, but we're hoping that your man is going to wake up beside him. So he's got this. You don't know what. You know, yeah, he's yeah, got this yeah, pilot yeah. asleep beside him. I can't. Like, I can't imagine they let him fly anymore. I mean, give any more lessons that pilot. No, I. I don't know. I wouldn't like to get in the. You know, unless they were cheaper. Yeah, that is mad. <laughs> I yeah. can do them, but there's a risk I'm going to fall asleep. Yeah. Got, yeah, sure, but you can get them at a discount. Yeah. Uh, shall I go with my next story? Go, go for it. Okay, so uh, Joanna Sandstorm of Sweden yes. recently went to a tattoo parlour to have the names of her two kids put on her arm. She detailed to the artist the style of writing she wanted and how she wanted the words. Nova and Kevin inked on her arm and the tattoo artist agreed to the work. However, he wound, wound up writing Kelvin instead of Kevin. Oh, no. Joanna returned to the tattoo parlour and the artist laughed. He explained to her how he showed her the design ahead of time she reviewed it and agreed to it, uh, but he still refunded her the money and gave her the number of a tattoo removal clinic. But after she learned that the removal takes multiple treatments and time, she and her husband instead, instead chose to do something else. Uh, could I guess? Yeah. Did they change the child's name to Kelvin? They changed their son's <laughs> name. So... Uh, the name Kelvin oh my God. The name Kelvin Has grown on Joanna And her husband And this way Her son's name Would match the tattoo <laughs> Oh my God She explained 
I never heard the, She said I never heard The name Kelvin before They realised that No one else has the name And it was quite unique So Now they think it's better Than Kevin So since the boy Was only two oh He didn't God. seem to notice The change <laughs> Jesus Christ. Wow. I, uh, Jesus, yeah. Jesus, I God, yeah. <laughs> so what are you named after? I'm named after my mother's tattoo. It's an interesting story. It is, yeah. Uh a dad um on his way to Spain with his family uh was there on the plane and then it turned out that the pilot Do you know the story? I have heard it, yeah. yeah so uh it's he, interesting. Yeah, well he's there he's there anyway and they couldn't take off because one of the pilots hadn't shown up. He passed out. Again. <laughs> so, but it turns out that the the father was an EasyJet. This is he was flying an EasyJet, and he is also an EasyJet pilot and happened to have his license and his all his stuff with him. So he got up and flew the plane to Spain. That's brilliant, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that. I don't know did he wear it, but he in like his holiday gear, like Hawaiian oh, he shorts. Would have, well, he would have been <laughs> just sitting there in his gear, yeah. But that would have been really. But luckily, he didn't have it. I wonder. Po- he didn't have a pint in the airport, or the, you know the old uh, like. Uh, he could have and maybe not said anything. Yeah, but like, you know. but there would have been that. No one can go to an airport and have a pint without taking a picture of it and putting it on their Instagram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he would have got caught saying, uh, on Facebook, <laughs> yeah. heading to yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a picture of the pint and the passport. But that would have been really annoying from would have been like, oh god, after you know, fly the plane, but. I suppose it only would have taken a couple hours. At least, but he was going with, fam- he he was going with his family. Oh, I'd say he would, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he didn't have to sit with his family then as well, which is probably nice. Yeah. Who, who screaming flew the kids plane on the plane. back, though? What? Oh. Well, are you all right? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's all right. Is that rude? Well, it is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the sound button we had. Yeah, the yeah, the burp board. button for Stephen. <laughs> right. Anyway, so we got a final story that was sent to us by a listener. Uh, Ronan sent this in, right? So... There is a woman who married a tree in the UK and uh, she drew inspiration from uh, a Mexican woman who was an activist to stop that thing. So there was like, uh, so 34 year old Kate Cunningham tied the knot at Rimrose Valley Park in Liverpool. And the ceremony was held on a Saturday afternoon and was performed by a local actor, musician and poet called Dave, Davy Edge. The uh, the woman is a former uh, primary school behavioural support assistant and said that her family and boyfriend are very supportive of the move. She said, my oldest son was initially embarrassed when I told him I was going to do it, but now has decided to come to the ceremony. It means a lot for him to be there. My dad has been very supportive. He's been out in his van all day, helping to organise stuff for the big day. I don't know what the hell he's at in his van. (laughs) But anyway, they were trying to build a motorway through this park, and she didn't want it to happen, so she picked one of the trees in the park and married the tree. Oh, so she actually doesn't want to have any sort of relationship with the tree. No, she's not. It was just to save the park. It's just to save the park, yeah, but she married the tree. But they had a little ceremony, and her family and everything sitting around and watching. And is she married as well, no? No, she's got a boyfriend, but she's married to a tree now as well. But I wonder how the boyfriend feels. That's what I said there. I said he's he's very supportive of the move. Oh, he is supportive. Yeah, but I suppose he'd probably say, look, talk to your husband about this. Yeah. <laughs> is there any yeah. issues you know there's three of them in the relationship there now. is ah! yeah they're branching off right yeah. uh, is that it have you any more news that was the news that was the news guys <laughs> Rob and Rat's weird and wonderful news yeah. alright so that was the news and we're back that was the news and as I said today's episode we're focusing on survival stories and look there are many different stories of people surviving all sorts of different things like um, whether it be a plane crash, shipwreck, and it's been portrayed in Hollywood movies like Into the Wild, The Edge, and Cast Away with Tom Hanks. That's the one that comes to mind. Yeah. That is the one. And in today's podcast, as I said, we'll be talking to um, Douglas Richardson, who was shipwrecked and stranded in a raft for 38 days um, in the South Pacific Ocean. That's later on. Um, Probably not the worst place to be. Yeah, but still, like, like South Pacific, isn't that like down there? Is it like Fiji and all that? It is. Uh, nice, there's nice off islands. Off the coast of South America. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Actually, well, I'll just tell you, before the interview starts, I'll tell you that they were going from the Galapagos Islands to the Marrakesh Islands. and <laughs> On a ship? On a, they had a, like a boat yacht. called the Luciette. Oh, you probably get into Luciette. Yeah, yeah. It was there. Douglas's father sold the family farm and he bought the kids on basically a trip around the world. Right. It was just an adventure yeah, they were yeah. going on. Uh, he had twin brothers that were on the boat, his mother, and look, we'll get into it later. Yeah, yeah, later yeah. But it's, it's, an, interesting, it's yeah. an interesting story of how they ended up shipwrecked anyway. Yeah. But it's important for people in these situations to have an attitude of survival, which is the art of surviving beyond any event. To survive means to remain alive, to live, yeah. Survival is taking any given circumstance and accepting it and trying to improve it while sustaining your life until you can get out of the situation. But like it's mad. By any means necessary, doing whatever it has exactly, to, have to do. But like, like your man drinking his own pee. What's his name? Yeah, Bear Grylls. Bear Grylls. Yeah. 
but like it's amazing what people have had to do and like cases where people have survived and like you know it's frightening I suppose like I've never been in that situation but I no. can only imagine what your mind goes through and like you know it does take you know I'd, I'd say you come out of situations like that feeling very different person absolutely you know I mean? yeah the change the change yeah. yeah are you aware of like the story of Aaron Ralston I am not aware of that story I'd say you are but you just don't realise don't it. know the so, name yeah. okay in 2003 Aaron Ralston 2000 what 2003, Aaron Ralston was well known for surviving after he was doing a solo descent of the Blue John Canyon in Utah. He had an accident which caused him to get lodged in a boulder. Mm. Um, He lodged his right arm to the side of the canyon wall in a boulder. And after five days on little food and water, Aaron made the decision to break his arm and cut it off. With his pocket knife to escape. Jesus. Yeah, it was covered in that movie, 127 That's Hours. That's the one, with, yeah. Um, Danny Boyle did James it, Franco, Danny yeah. Boyle did it, yeah. But was it James Franco? It was, was good it? for him. Yeah. It was good for him. But uh, God, like, could you imagine like having to make the choice to cut off your to own cut arm? Cut off your own arm. But I, I always think about that, Liz. Could you imagine like he just cut it off and then like you hear <laughs> sirens and someone goes, "Hey, is that you all right down there? Is that for fuck? Jesus Christ!" Oh. He throws his arm up at them. Not for yeah, fuck. Yeah. yeah, He's literally just, <laughs> just on, on the, the last, final song. the last one. Yeah, and then he can just hear, "Hello." Yeah. <laughs> is there anybody alive out there? Can anyone hear me? <laughs> oh God, yeah. But like God, but even for him to do because he still had to walk knife. back then, didn't he? After yeah, that, like, he did, and he yeah. eventually was found. But like. Imagine a pocket knife the size of it. You know the little sawy mm, thing in a little pocket Swiss knife. Army knife, like yeah. Like I could, how like no anesthesia, no anything. No, fair, like fair. I suppose you have from. to do it though, don't you? Fair Otherwise, you just from. die. Like, yeah. Oh, exactly. Like that's it's that's it. Life or death. Another story uh, of shipwreck survivor would be Steve Callahan. Uh, Steve wrote a book, and it's one. It's a famous survivor story. Uh, he wrote a book, Adrift, seventy six days lost at sea. So in nineteen eighty two. Steve set sail from the Canary Islands to head for the Caribbean. His ship sank in a storm, leaving him alone in a rubber inflatable raft, half naked with three pounds of food and eight pints of water. Uh, Steve drifted for 76 days, staying alive from food he could catch in the ocean. Jesus. Eventually, he reached land rescue in the Bahamas. He had a serious mental toughness and his story, which and his story shows strength and adaptability. His story is actually still taught in survival classes in the US today. And he, he is how many ex- days was he there? 76 days. 76 days yeah, yeah. And his just floating like just fishing floating and, and just trying to catch something. But interestingly enough, Steve Callahan uh, wrote a letter to our guest today. Okay, uh, Rob R- Robert Douglason, because uh, he wrote a letter basically thanking. Uh, Douglas's father for writing the book of their story because okay. th- their incident happened in the 70s and they wrote a book Douglas's father wrote a kind of chronicle story of his About survival happens, and yeah. how he did it and uh, Steve basically wrote to him thanking him said that he used his dad's book as a guide to help him survive oh he had read it beforehand he had read it beforehand he didn't have it with him on the boat no he didn't have it with him not that I'm aware of but he used that as a guide to help him survive which is interesting see if I was on a like a dinghy for 74 days floating in like between the Caribbean and and the Canaries I'd probably just die of sunburn <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think though, I, if, that's what I die of. I'm like, I'm so fair. Like, my skin is so yeah, fair. I just yeah. burned. I, I probably have loads of food. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah loads. Burned so burnt. badly, sunburned. <laughs> That'd be so annoying. <laughs> like, he died of a sunburn. Yeah, very bad burn out. Lovely tan he had when he arrived at the beach, all washed up. Oh God. Yeah. But okay, so today uh, we're talking to Douglas. Um, Douglas Robertson Douglas, Douglas Robertson yeah, yeah. so his father decided to sell the farm in England to sail around the world they set sail on January 1971 and they were shipwrecked shipwrecked in June of 1972 and it's kind of an amazing story what happened to them I look forward to it yeah. it took I think it took 15 minutes from the point of what caused their accident for them for the boat to sink and they were 38 days Adrift at sea as a family, as a family. Wow, yeah. And like, but to think, oh, yeah. Look, should we go to the interview? I think we should go to the interview. Okay, so here's my interview with Douglas. Nice one. Your story is pretty amazing, Douglas, about the um, shipwreck. Um, you were 18 at the time. I was 18 and a half. Yeah. Yeah, and this happened. Yeah. 1971. This happened. 
1972. Oh, 1972. Okay. Yeah. And so, Douglas, you're, can you tell us a bit about what happened? Like, uh, what, what, why were you on the boat in the first place, for people who don't know your story? Okay, so um, we had hit upon difficult times economically in the farm. We had a, a hill farm in the middle of England, you know. Uh, it was a fair size farm, but we hit upon harder times due to bad trading and stuff. And my dad decided to sell the farm. And look, sort of it was an opportunity for a new adventure. Yeah. And. Uh, he decided that he would sail around the world and take his kids around the world on a yacht. And uh, so he sold the farm and bought a yacht with the proceeds. He bought a yacht. Yeah. It sounds like a mad adventure. And your dad was yeah. a former mariner. He had worked on ships. He and... was, yeah. He was a master mariner before. Uh, he'd served as chief officer in sunk during the war. And um, the, the, he was a professional seafarer, but he farmed for 15 years, so he'd sort of forgotten. You know, forgotten a lot of stuff, you know. And he was in big ships, not little boats, you know. Yeah. And, like, so at the time when you set sail on your trip around the world, there was you, your dad, your mom. Yeah, so there was my mum and dad. There was myself and my sister and my twin brothers, so six of us. Six of you on the yacht. Okay, so you set sail and... You know, you were you were going grand for like three. You were a few years on the eighteen months, about eighteen months before, yeah. on that, in in the nineteenth month. So we set off in January seventy one. Yeah, right. Which is at the beginning of the year, and this happened in June seventy two. Uh, 72. And just for our little... For our, 72, yes. Okay. So that's, that's one and a half, 18 months, yeah. So 18 months into the journey, Douglas, just for our listeners, what what caused the shipwreck? Well, we were sailing along, and um, we had just left the Galapagos Islands, and we were sailing to the Marquesas, which is about 2,000-plus miles across the Pacific. It's quite a long trip, and it was the longest leg of our entire voyage. Okay. It's going to be. And we were two days out from the Galapagos Islands, and that was about 200 miles, or certainly 200 miles west of Cape Espinosa in the Galapagos Islands. And we we got hit by three very solid objects. Bang, 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 like that. And it lifted the boat and shook the boat in the water. It's a big boat, you know. I mean, it was uh, a 45-foot wooden schooner. God, yeah. Built. Yeah. And we didn't know what... Uh, me and my brother were on watch at the time, and we didn't know what had happened. And uh, I, I thought we'd gone aground. And, uh, and I thought, well... Uh, Douglas, was this during the day or at night time? During the day, 10, 10 15, and... Okay. In the morning. So... And then I heard these noises behind me, water noises, and I looked around, and there were three killer whales. One with its head split open, the blood coming out, and then um, like a mummy one and a, a baby one. One had a head. One, one had its head split open. You said. One of the, the male, the big male, had its head split open, and was um, you know. I mean, we just didn't understand. We hadn't put two and two together yet. But that they hit us, you know. But it sort of gradually dawned on us that 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 was what a hit. That's where the bangs had come from, you know. Yeah. And uh, they the uh, Lucette she continued to sail, and it was just like uh, disbelief really that um, this had happened. And I was looking down the hatch to my dad and said what's happening, and he said to me, where's this water coming in? There's water pouring in the boat. And it was a little bit hard to take in. And then that's when I saw the whales, turned back and saw the whales, and I looked back down the hatch, and he was up to his knees, and it was rapidly rising up to the, to the drawers and up the bedside, you know. And I, I, he said to me, abandon ship. And I said, abandon ship to where, Duke? I said, this is not Miami Marina. I said, we, 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 there's nowhere to go. And he said, get the life raft over the side. 
And I looked at him in complete disbelief, as any excellent teenager would. And I thought, this can't be happening. Yeah, I got that and must I, have been terrifying. And I went forward, and I thought, oh, I know what I'll do. This is a nightmare that's happening. I'm going to take the sails down and throw them onto the boom. And by the time I've done that, I'll wake up and the dream will be over. Yeah. I thought. That was my strategy. So I did go forward and started to take the sails down. And Deagle came up on the on the deck and said, what the hell are you doing? Get the life raft over the side. And I, I then, then I sprung into action. I got the life raft over. I got the dinghy over. Put the oars in the dinghy. And by the time I'd done that, which was about two and a half minutes, seemed like a lifetime, the Lucette was up to her gunnels and water and the waves were coming onto the deck. And it was in a sort of stupefied disbelief. We abandoned ship. And, uh, well, in fact, I got washed over the side. A wave came across and washed me over the side. And I just thought to myself, this is it. This is how I'm going to die. You know, these killer whales are going to eat us. Uh, And the killer whales were still in the water while you throw the light? They were still in the water. I mean, they were as confused as we were. You know what I mean? Clearly, this hadn't gone according to their plan. Yeah. And uh, they, they were swimming around, and I swam for the raft. The raft had started to uh, sort of uh, uh, inflate by then because it was one of those, you know, pull Yeah. Uh, was, was the rest of the family kind of just in the water trying we, to... We lost contact. We lost contact with each other. So the twins had got into the dinghy with my dad. Who would have been the youngest. And, and uh, they were the youngest kids. Uh, sorry, with Robin, the student Robin. They'd got in. So those three were in. I think my dad got into the dinghy then as well. Yeah. Of course, they got to the raft and tied the dinghy to the raft. Me, me and my mum were the last two, so my mum got pulled down by the boat as it went down, and she managed to swim away from the rigging and get up onto the surface and then got into the raft. And I I had this idea that the raft was leaking because it was leaking CO2, you know, and I thought, I've got to stop this leak from happening. And uh, I, I met my mum in the water at that moment, and I said to her, Mum, give us something to block this liquid. And she gave me an orange that she'd found in the water, you know. And yeah. I sort of thought, well, how the hell am I going to fix this leak with this orange, you know. And But I kept hold of the orange, and the leak stopped because it was actually an overflow for... because they've got enough CO2 to inflate in this cold climate. Oh, OK. They've got, too much, they've got too much in the tropics, and it vents that off when it... You know, I didn't know about that, but it did stop, and I thought, right... And then I got into the raft as well, and I saw everybody sitting there, and, you know, you sort of think, Jesus, what the hell just happened, you know? But the whole incident there had taken about 15 minutes. God, I mean, that must have been like, the adrenaline must have been literally yeah. pumping. You know, I mean, I kept feeling for my legs in the water, because I heard you don't feel a thing, you know, you just you just feel and your legs aren't there, you know, and I kept feeling for my legs, waiting for the bats to come, but they, ne- they never came. Gosh. And, 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 and we wondered if the killer whales ate that whale, you know. I don't know whether they did or not, you know, because they disappeared shortly after that. Yeah, God, but even being um, being in the water yourselves, physically with them, must have been just so terrible. With everything that, with everything that yeah. was going on for you, like, how big was the raft you were in? Like, what size? So that was a, uh, let me just get this right, a six-man raft. An eight-man raft. That was an eight-man raft. Yeah. And, we, yeah, so there, and there were six of us in it. So we had a... You know, it was big enough for us, but it started to leak almost straight away because um, the, uh, the, the it, it hadn't been serviced for a couple of years. You know. Oh you know, my the, God! You're jo- what did you do about that? Well, we just managed to keep it afloat for 17 days, and, and the raft sank after 17 days. And but it, it served its purpose. It kept us from the sun. Where we're in the tropics when it happened. It kept us out of the sun and kept shade over us. And um, they, uh, you know, we, we 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 then got into the dinghy. We tied the dinghy to the raft, and we then got into the dinghy alone and struck out to the land with the dinghy. So we sailed. Let me get this right. 350 miles in the in in the raft dinghy combination, 
and then we sailed 450 miles in the dinghy. God, and um, was the dinghy a part of the boat as well? It, well, it was the dinghy, it was the thing, the, the boat that we went to shore in, you know what I mean? It was that oh. fiberglass dinghy. It wasn't really a, a life raft, it wasn't a life raft. But we had the dinghy and the raft to start with. Okay. We put, we put the boat, the yacht's dinghy over the side, the one that we used to go ashore on, you know. Um, we put the, the dinghy over the side and we put the raft over the side. Okay. So we had two crafts, if you like, and we towed one with the other. Yeah, yeah. We, we lived in the raft, which had a canopy over it, and that lasted for 17 days. And then that sank. And we then got into the dinghy, which had no canopy, so we were, and, and, and no buoyancy, no inherent buoyancy. God. So we knew, we knew how to, and there were six of us in this bloody dinghy. It was a three-man dinghy, effectively. God, there were six, six of you in a three-man dinghy. Yeah, yeah, so it was a very cramped situation, you know. We couldn't lie down or anything like that. And How did how did you, uh, like, how many days were you in the dinghy? Uh, we were, uh, well, uh, it's 17, is it 21, is it 21 days? Yeah. 21 days. How did you sleep? Did you, did you even we, manage we were to sleep? 38 days altogether. 38 yeah. days altogether, yeah. We didn't sleep. We just dropped to sleep where you sat. Yeah. And a, a minute or two later, you'd wake up again. You, you maybe get ten minutes for Yeah, you got you bits and I mean? bits and pieces yeah, here and yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You couldn't sleep. God, it really must have been just a like terrifying experience. Did, did you did you think you wouldn't wouldn't make it back to shore at any point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time. I mean, we never thought every every sunset that came. We thought, well, this is it. <laughs> you know, because the nights were a bit worse than the days. You know, I mean, in the days you could see. The at least in the day, yeah. You, you could see where you get, you know, you could see things, but at night you couldn't see anything, and waves had come out of nowhere, you know, and we just thought, um, we'll never survive till the morning. But we did, we did. And uh, every morning we, we were still alive, you know, and we, we just thought, bloody hell, you know. And then we dared to hope a bit later on, in about day 30 or so, we thought, well, because we sort of knew where we were. We thought, you know, we could, we said, we're 10 days off land, you know. We've been on this thing for 38 days, there's 10 days to go. And, um, and then the closure came, you know, in the form of a Japanese fishing boat. A Japanese fishing boat came? Yeah, yeah, a Japanese fishing boat came, picked it up. God. And God, that must have even just seen that. Did you see the boat in the distance, or did it just yeah, it kind of yeah, crack? Yeah, Well, we'd had an incident on the sixth day. A big cargo ship had sailed past it, nearly ran us down, in fact, you know. And it didn't and see it And it didn't see us. And we fired two, two parachutes away and three hands away. And it didn't say Oh my god, that like when that must have been a very low point when that took yeah, off. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean we were devastated, you know. God. And because we thought we'd get picked up, you know. And then my dad said, Look, we can't we can't depend on these guys to save us. He says we have to save ourselves. And the only way we're gonna save ourselves is if we save enough food and water and we sail for America. It's going to take us 70 days to get there, and that's what we have to set our minds on. And we were thinking, fucking hell, 70 days? Yeah, yeah. 70 days? We can't survive 70 days in this. But God, he was, he, he was so mad to have that mindset to think, you know what, you know, yeah, he could... Yeah. Yeah. To, to put our mindset that we were going to survive and not be rescued. Yeah. He said, if we get rescued, it's an interruption to our survival process. God. Said, but survival comes first. And that's what we did. We, we changed our, our mindset collectively, and we gathered food in the form of fish and turtles and dried, and we collected oil, we dried oil, and that. Like, like how, did you catch, how did you catch the fish? Did you have any nets, or...? Like, no, no, no. The turtles had just caught my hand and heaved them over the side and cut their throats with a knife that we'd saved from the... From the my mum's sewing basket of gone past. And uh, we drank their blood, and we, the, the fish we caught with a hook, which we, we, we stabbed them with the hook. We, we didn't catch them with a hook traditionally. And did you, you just ate them raw? Yeah, we, we dried the, some of the meat, and we ate some of the meat raw, and we drank the blood of the turtles. God, that's and, amazing. And but like... At one, 
I'll tell you what, what is amazing is how much stuff you know that you don't know you know. Yeah. Okay? So wh- when you're sitting in a raft and you've caught a blooming turtle and you've just cut its throat, and you, you understand within about a short while that there's an artery in a vein, and if you cut the artery, you can drain the clean red blood out and drink that. But if you cut a vein, you, it takes ages for the blood to get out, and it all coagulates, and you can't drink it, so you learn to cut the artery, not the vein, you know. But you open it up, and you learn that you can refine the fat into oil, and that you can cut the meat off and dry it and keep it and store it like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so when we got picked up, we actually had 14 days supply of food and water, and we only had 10 days to go. God, that is amazing. So, so, but we didn't know that, of course. We were, could not be sure that that, that was... Uh, um, so, God, like, Douglas, it's such an amazing story. And, like, I'd say, like, the feeling, how did you, when that Japanese boat, were they, how was their reaction to seeing you, the Japanese fishing boat? They couldn't believe that. Like, we, we, lived a, we lived a pretty sorry bunch, you know what I mean, in that, in that raft. And uh, they, they um, we were covered in blood and oil, and, you know, we were naked and we were wild. We were wild people, you know. But... They and they actually asked us if we wanted to come on board, <laughs> and we thought we thought, well, bloody hell, maybe they think we're doing something like some scientific expedition or something. Oh my God! And I we said, no, 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 we definitely want to come on board. You know? Now we're all good here. We're heading for America. <laughs> and you know, they, they gave us our lives back. God, that is amazing. We, we couldn't thank them enough for it. You know. God, I'd say just even just the feeling, even like for you as an 18-year-old, young lad, like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, getting yeah, on the bus, it just must have been an amazing feeling, like, to survive. Let go, you know? Yeah. To let go of that, uh, that need to survive, that yeah. work, that effort to survive. Yeah, God. Certainly it doesn't matter anymore, God, you know. You, and, like, the younger kids as well, like your twin brothers, is it? Well, you see, we've often talked about what role did they play, you know. They were young, they were 12 years old, but they kept us honest. Yeah. And they gave us a reason to get home. Yeah. Because they were... So they were in purpose, we had to get them home. Yeah. And they were just young kids, they had a life, I mean, we, yeah, we were young anyway, you know. But they were just little kids, and we had, that kept us honest about the water and the food, how we shared it out, and how we made sure they had some, and the, you know what I mean? It's... There's the soft power, if you like, you know what I mean? Whereas everybody else was hard power, they were all working towards getting us home. God, it, it really must have brought you uh, very close together as a family, you know? Well, it did, and it has, but but it's a long time ago now, and, you know, my mum and dad have died, and, yeah. but we still have that, we still have it, and we meet up every now and then, Robin, the student, we're still in touch with him, and, uh, you know, the twin brothers, and... You know, we meet up and we, we, of course, you never forget it. I mean, some of the images and the imagery is as fresh in your mind because I think that when you remember things under great pressure, yeah, that you, that you, um, uh, it stays with you for, forever, you know what I mean? Like, we, we, did, did you ever have nightmares about a Douglas afterwards? You mu- must have. For, for about 20 years. For 20, about 20 years. 20 years then, that you dream you were back on the water? Well, not every night, but you did yeah. you get dreams that were nightmares, you know, that woke you up and yeah. you thought, you oh, God, I'm in bed. You know, I'm actually in bed. I thought I was in the raft, but I'm in bed. You know? God. And, I, but after about that far, they, they just stopped happening, you know. And do you know when you say the student that was on the, was there, I, I'm not familiar with that, was there a student with here? Uh, yeah, well, he's a hitchhiker. We, we, my sister left us in Nassau in the Bahamas. Yeah. And uh, fell in love, you know, and, and didn't want to come any further. Okay. Great adventure. So, so we took um, hitchhikers with us from port to port. We took, you know, somebody going to the next port. And there's plenty of people. Oh, I, you were just giving someone a lift, like? And, yeah, just giving someone a lift. So God. We, 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 this was the th- third, fourth person we'd given a lift to, you know, we were giving him a lift to New Zealand. So. God, and of all the times to get on the boat. He uh, <laughs> was the first tripper as well. Never been to sea before in his life. Oh, my God. But, but... But, you know, Robin was an accountant, 
and he he was a talker and he talked a lot and he loved talking. That's very important on a life raft. Yeah. If somebody is willing to talk, because, you know... To keep you kind of going and keep you listening. Yeah, yeah, it keeps the morale up, you know what I mean? Yeah. We just like to hear him, so we didn't care what he talked about, we just like to hear him talk, like, yeah. you know what I mean? But it meant we were alive, because we could hear him talk, you know what I mean? I just, uh, was, there, was there a movie made about the um, incident? There was, the... there's been two movies made, one, one a big screen movie by um, Ryan Yorick and uh, Ali McGraw, played my, my dad and my mum. And uh, Robert, R- uh, Ryan Urich played my part, so that was Robert Urich's son. But I think they're both, I don't know if they're still alive now, those yeah. two uh, actors. I think Ali McGraw might be, but... The movie was called, sure. called Surviving the Savage Sea, was it? Or? Surviving the Savage Sea, yeah. Yeah. And then National Geographic made a docu film of it. Okay. Like, so that they sort of, re- they, they interviewed me and my brothers. Yeah. And Robin. And uh, and then they went and, and then they acted the bit that we talked about. So when I said something about the raft, and, and then they, they had a raft and some actors in it in the zoom. Okay. Just, yeah, yeah, so. And that was the National Geographic. Do you remember the name? Do you remember the name of that? It's called Expeditions to the Edge. Expeditions to the Edge. Okay. That's good. There were six, I think there were six. Uh, programs in that series. Okay. Hour long docu-films. Okay. That might be worth our listeners having a look at. And also, you wrote a book, Douglas, about the experience. I did. I wrote a book called The Last Voyage of the Lucette. The Last Voyage of the Lucette. The Lucette being the name of the boat. The the, the Lucette. Yeah, the name of the boat, yeah. And And my dad wrote a book called Survive the Savage Sea, which um, predates that one. But that's a bit of a dry read. It's a bit of a chronicle. That's a chronicle of what happened. Okay. Sorry, a chronicalised by date and time. Okay. And then... But, you know, it, it did sell... Um, many hundreds of thousands of copies that bit did so Google made a, a lot of money out of it yeah, after, she, after we got picked up you know. so, so you made global headlines so yeah, ma- massive stories yeah. and then books are still available now like on Amazon yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Amazon or yeah, yeah, you can get them around you know and um, and you can get second hand ones from Amazon you know and, uh, that's great. Well, Douglas, look, thanks so much for talking to us. And, uh, it's been a do you know, it's absolutely an amazing story to think, you know, I like to think that you were in a shipwreck, you went from a lifeboat to a raft, I mean, a dinghy, and just. You don't meet many people who've been shipwrecked for that long, do you? Exactly. You know, I mean, I, I've, but, never, I've never met anybody else, but I've never heard of them. I've but even. A letter from, from a shipwreck survivor who had used our boots as a, um, an, an aid to survive, you know, and he, he thanked my dad for writing his book, he wouldn't have survived. Steve Callahan, you know, yeah. and he got shipwrecked too. But you see, our biggest problem was that we did not believe we could survive. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. who does it? You know, we, we thought we were just marking town until we die. You know, I mean, but it just goes to show Never give up. Yeah, I suppose it is. It is an important message, I suppose. I think that point where your your mind and your morale drops, you're kind of you know you need you that you need you? yeah you yeah. need to keep yeah. it going. The mindset yeah. is a mindset is a massive thing. Well, as Google said, which is true, sight of a common goal. We had sight of a common goal, which is like you know you know you're, everybody's got to have sight of a common goal, but. Our, the, our common goal was to stay alive. Well, we were, we were all very interested in that common goal. You know? Yeah, we all we all had sight of that common goal, and we worked towards getting home and surviving. You know, because yeah. our life was the price. So you can't really get a higher pri- a higher price than that. You know, no. and to think that you all survived and came out the other end. You know, yes. it's just we it's absolutely amazing. Douglas, we may not have made it if we'd been if we'd had to land if we'd had to land on land, so to speak. We may not have made the landfall, you know, because we were very weak when we yeah. when we got picked up. But we 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 didn't. We got picked up, you know. That didn't happen in the end. We got picked up by a ship, and we all survived. Yeah. Well, Douglas Robertson, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure and an amazing story, and I just think it's brilliant. And thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, 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 and thanks very much for, for calling. Okay. okay, so that was my interview with uh, Douglas. Uh, 
an amazing story. Jesus, like. it's a hell of a story. Amazing story it's a hell of, of a story. It's a hell of a story. Now, I suppose just for the listeners, it probably is sometimes hard to hear a little bit of a. It can be hard sometimes. Go back again if you found it hard. Turn it up and listen to it because it is a bloody good story. Like yeah, like it's amazing just to think that like I think from when the the point that they went, uh, uh, they went from the lifeboat and they were tugging along a dinghy as well. So yeah. when so they were hit by killer whales. Yeah, but are they hit killer whales, more likely? They, ah, well, yeah, yeah, more <laughs> likely, know, yeah. And one of them was... The way he open. says it, like, we were hit but by like, them. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, get off the road. Well, in fairness, they were just using the water yeah, as well. Yeah, but yeah. Um, to think, like, you know, when the boat sank and then being over the water, but being in the water with the killer whales. Yeah. And then to... And obviously he's saying that, it, uh, that one of their heads cracked open, so there's blood everywhere. Yeah. And, like, you can imagine sharks would be on their way. But, like, 18 years old, can you imagine Jesus, that? Yeah. Like, 1972, that happened. Like, it's a while away now, but, like, it was a ma- massive story. Like, you know, our parents might remember that even just uh, yeah. making national headlines and... Um, God, yeah, I, I liked I liked the bit when he said that they came across the Japanese ship and they like they were covered. Do you want in, to come they, on? They were they were naked. They were covered in blood from like cutting open uh, uh, cutting open turtles and like ripping them apart, taking their innards out, and like just naked. This family in a little raft, and they said, yeah. "Do you want to come on?" Or you've got you got your own thing out yeah. there in the boat, like. I uh, will share as well on the Rob Rat Instagram and Facebook. We'll just put up a picture of the size of the boat and the family. Just oh, you got a couple of pictures, boat. do you? I have pictures of the size of the raft. Cool, yeah, I'd like to see that. Um, yeah. So Dougal was Robert's father who wrote Dougal. the initial book. Dougal yeah. Robertson decided to sell the family farm. Went to that. It's, just, it's crazy. Imagine your dad coming home. Come here, guys. I've sold the farm. I've bought a boat. We're, and, we're uh, heading off. Yeah. As well, I'll just put up uh, the from the Galapagos Islands to the other islands. Just so the, the, I'll put up the, the map of where they were yeah. to give you an idea. But yeah, I suppose it's just... And they picked up a guy as well who was... Just, what, the daughter, <laughs> the daughter fell in love in one of the islands and didn't uh, go with them. The Bahamas, I think, and yeah. stayed and she was happy out there. So they used to give people lifts from port to port. A lot yeah, of people would yeah. uh, hitch a ride. But they just then, said to their daughter as well, yeah, you stay there now. He's fallen in love with a fellow on the island. <laughs> we're going to take someone else in the boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But... Uh, what was the the student who just got you know imagine Robin was that his name Robin was the student yeah. but to hitch a lift on that and it was his first time ever at sea yeah God and Jesus, then he ends up yeah. thirty eight days stranded but it's so easy for us to even say just thirty eight days but for them living in the moment hour by hour yeah in the water can you imagine like you can't really bring yourself to that kind of oh it's incredibly like mad like we for instance I know we did our I know it's not a thing but we did our charity hug right the Guinness World Record and yeah. we set the longest world record for the world's longest hug. hug, right? And it wasn't just the two of us. No, there's four, four of us. us but we did uh, like 30, 30 hours. And that's 30 hours of staying awake and just like being in close proximity to each other. Yeah. And that was like, imagine doing that for 38 times when you're out at sea yeah. and you're like... Even being cramped in the boat, like yeah. you can't stretch your legs, you can't... Jesus, no, It's yeah. tough, so tough. And you're eating, you've got to pick turtles out and then you've got to murder them. Bloods. Murder them. Well, fair play to them. They had a they load survived. of food they when survived. they were. They, they had survived. a load of food. I, I must check out the film. I kind of tried to have a look there online for the National Geographic. You don't know where they got the water from, do you? No. Uh, I think they collected rainwater. Did from they? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Well, that's um, survival, isn't it? But they, even without the water, drinking the blood of the turtles would have kept I suppose, yeah. But he said they had enough water to survive another 10 days or something. Yeah, something yeah. Like that of, yeah. But it's amazing. Look, that was, kind of concludes this week's podcast. Well, I was going to say, right, but another thing I always think is survival. Yeah. Is, you know the film Alive Alive You know it's the Uruguayan rugby team And they crash in the Andes Yeah yeah the, And, and, there, like, and I think they ate each other a few They had to eat each, each other, other to survive yeah, There was yeah. like 45 of them crashed or something I think 15 of them survived It's a good movie that as well It's good it's a true story But that's around the same time I think it's in the 70s That happened as well Yeah I always think of survival That's true like as well survival. You're just kind of like You're there you have nothing to eat You're stuck up in the mountains you No one knows eat, you're there You would eat each other you start like. Yeah but they waited until people died And then yeah. they'd eat the dead bodies they're It'd eat. be kind of handy in a way The terms that like You know the body wouldn't decompose In that temperature That's it And they're rugby players they'd be big bulky fellas as well there'd be plenty of meat in them did they I'm not I can't remember that film I saw yeah. a good while ago did they cook the meat or mm, were they I, able to light no, fires I think, or what no I don't know maybe they were cooking it I think what they did was they like they were frozen kind of things and they, they were going for like butt cheeks and stuff because there's plenty of meat there you know yeah yeah and, but I wonder uh, were they I don't know did they cook it I don't know did they have a fire I think mm. they had no they didn't have a fire because they used to have uh, they had like a bit of a reflective thing from the plane right and they get the oh they, sure the sun maybe they, during the day they put like. the ice they put ice on top of that and that had melted and they get water from that because yeah. they didn't want to get like uh, frozen oh there's a thing going off there water in the lungs and stuff they'd be very careful about that because that was killing them they get pneumonia because you get yeah. water in their lung and then that would freeze up and you die yeah. so a lot of them were just dying 
Uh, and then some of them took off to go and try and find help or whatever, and they did eventually find it and brought people back. Yeah, yeah, that's but uh, yeah, so I think that's kind of it. that. That's that's our survival episode, is it? Yeah, I suppose the other thing that we mentioned early into the wild that movie. Did oh, you ever see that movie? Is that Into the Wild? Is that the guy Tato on the horse? You are that's, that's Into the West. That's Into the West. Into the Wild. I don't think I've seen the film Into the Wild. No, it's actually a very good film. It's a true story as well. Okay. Um, well, no. When I think of survival films, I suppose I think of like um, your man Castaway with Wilson, and is it? It's not Tom Cruise. Tom Hanks living on the island. Uh, that's like oh, yeah, that's yeah. kind of the main. That's a really good film as well. It actually is good. Yeah. He makes friends with a. Is that true? No. I don't no, know. no, it's no, not. No, it's just it's fictional, is it? Yeah. But um, and then oh, obviously I was mentioned before Bear Grylls. He's the main survival guy. And anytime I don't know if you've ever seen the episode in Ireland where uh, he comes to Ireland and he's kind of showing what it's like to survive. So he gets like left in the middle of nowhere somewhere in Ireland. I don't know, is it Connemara or somewhere? And he's kind of going around just showing like how people can fall into a bog and die. But if you need to survive, he comes across a dead sheep, and uh, he takes out his knife and he cuts the sheep open. And he kind of gets inside the sheep oh, and yeah, makes yeah. makes a sleeping bag. And people go into a sheeping bag, and he kind of gets inside of it. Like some of the stuff he doesn't need to be doing, he can just tell you to do it. But gets inside, and then basically, like he says, you know, you know, you could be right, you could die out here. But basically, at the end of the thing, he kind of walks out. He kind of hops over a fence, and he's just kind of on a road. You know, well that somewhere down the road, like in Ireland, there's not you're not too far from a house for ah, some people yeah. in it. But uh, yeah, no, it's an interesting watch. And he didn't drink his pee actually in that episode. Yeah, Nobody. I don't think he does in every episode. He should, though. And there was something on Bear Grylls I saw as well, but there's a type of starfish that produces this, or a type, some type of fish that has, whatever its skin is oily and it actually works as sunblock. Oh, right. Which is interesting. But um, yeah. Into the Wild, that movie was uh, based on the story of Christopher McCandless. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. But in the know. early 90s, he kind of, he had wealthy parents and he kind of wanted to cut ties with them. I don't know, he wasn't into them. But he went off. <laughs> no, I don't want your money. But he kind of, he went no. off to live in the wilderness. But it's kind of. It, oh, I have seen yeah. it. Did he live in a bus? He did. They found an abandoned bus and lived in it. It's kind of, it takes, the story takes a sad turn. Yeah, it's actually not a bad film. Yeah, yeah. It's I good, actually did see it. It's only when you said it's that. It's a sad film. Like, because yeah. it, um, he ends up kind of eating He kind of loses his mind a bit, does he? he he, well, no, because he's eating berries. He starts yeah. eating these berries and then he has a book of all these different things and he starts to feel a bit sick and oh, he, he realises that... Does he? Yeah, he poisoned himself and he ended up meeting his death oh, in the bus. Huh? On that note... Yeah, on that positive <laughs> note, yeah, yeah, that's all from us for today. That's it? all from this week. Yeah. It's been interesting. It has. But it, it has, has been, you know, it's been cool. I've, been, I, I've enjoyed it. You've enjoyed it. Again. And once again, as we're always, the main, my main objective is to make sure that you enjoy yourself as long as you have a good time. Uh, I'm actually tired now to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have an old kip there for yourself. Yeah. Anyway, if you're in bed listening to this, hopefully you've got off to sleep. Or if you're in your car, hopefully you're still awake <laughs> and you haven't gone to sleep. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we'll catch you next time. Um, as look, as we say at the end of every podcast, it's sometimes at the start. Check us out on Instagram at Rob Rap Podcast, our Facebook, Twitter, and Spotify, and all that stuff. Because look, it's good. If you keep an eye on our Instagram and Facebook as well, like we usually, you know, we might. Let you know about future interviews we're going to be doing and maybe yeah. a bit of uh, interaction there. Coming up. Yeah. But as well, we have just for ye, we might have get ye if you have any questions for our future. Yeah, and as has happened in the past, if you have any news for our news seg- segment, if you've got any stories, especially if you've got any stuff to do with seagulls, I'd yeah. be interested in hearing about but even, that. But even if you're online and you see, God, that's a mad story, send yeah, it on send to it us. Send it our way, we, we might have a look at it. We've had a few and, people yeah. now send stories that we've used and it's been good and that's great. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, bye-bye. You have been listening to the Rob Rat Podcast. Be sure to check out our social media for updates on the next episode. And if you liked what you heard, then let us know by hitting the subscribe button, sending us a message, and telling a friend, because that's how the podcast grows. Thanks for listening.